Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is SECQB on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you. Thanks for coming out today. This is tremendous. Do you know how easy this is for me? All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of SEC QB. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Obviously, we've got a bunch of cancellations this week, and it's just a bizarre time all around in college football right now. But we've got a few games from last week to cover and a really fun interview with former Texas A&M quarterback Stephen McGee. Really got enjoyed getting to catch up with him. Uh, but before we get to any of that, the NFL season is in full swing. You're not, you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. There's always the online casino as well, which never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Well, Josh, man, obviously the, the biggest one from last week that I want to get your thoughts on right off the bat was, was Florida-Georgia. Georgia jumps out to that two-touchdown lead. But like we said last week, Georgia did not want this to turn into a shootout, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, you know, uh, Florida came in as underdogs, and we knew, we talked about it a little bit last week, is that they had a potent offense, and they had one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And Trask has done a phenomenal job really all year getting the ball into the playmaker's hands, and that's what he did. 30 of 43, 474 yards, which was a career high. The Gators covered with ease. But, you know, Pitts, their tight end, the superstar, probably first-round guy, uh, their best uh, touchdown, uh, I guess, playmaker on offense got knocked out in the second quarter, and they were still able to throw for that many yards and that high of a percentage. And I thought when he went out of the game, it might be tough for them to duplicate what they do, uh, you know, while, while he's in there. And, and they were able to do that. Georgia led the game 14 to nothing. Uh, they had a real good run by Zamir White early in the game, a 75-yard touchdown on the first play uh, from scrimmage. So it looked like Georgia had things under control. And then here comes the Florida offense. And they came they came strong, man. It was fun to watch. Uh, we talked a little bit about Bennett, too, the quarterback for Georgia. Um last week going into the game that he'd have to produce and he did not, you know, they threw 16 times with him. He only completed five. So Florida's defense is starting to step up. It's going to be fun to watch them the rest of the year, because if their defense steps up and their offense continues to play like they do, they're a title contending team and they can play with anybody. So that was a fun game to watch just in terms of Florida's offensive capability and uh, you know, the way they play defense in the second half. It was a fun game to watch. I watched that one start to finish. And Florida, it feels like, is really getting their legs underneath them. They're playing better and better as the season yep. goes on. And, and also, that that Texas A&M win over Florida, I think, looks better as well right now. Um, after a few weeks, as the season's gone on, that Florida team's improved. I think Texas A&M has improved, which leads us into – I actually took South Carolina to cover in this game, but Texas A&M – 48-3 to three over South Carolina, and now the, the, the calls for Will Muschamp's job are, are 
escalating quickly in South Carolina. What did you make of that one? Yeah, South Carolina's defense, have the last two games that they played against LSU and A&M, given up a ton of points and a ton of yards. I think over 1,000 in those two combined. And, you know, Texas A&M is starting to really look like a, a, a balanced, well-oiled machine as far, in terms of running the football with Isaiah Spiller. Uh, it's really benefited Kellen Mond. I think Kellen Mond had a great day, four touchdown passes, uh, one touchdown rushing. Spiller had over 131 yards rushing. So collectively on offense, Texas A&M looks like they can play with anybody as well. And we know they got the one loss uh, to Bama, the big win against Florida. They're going to have to continue to do what they're doing on offense and stay balanced. You, you know, as a quarterback, if you've got a good run game back there, it opens up a lot in the pass game. And that's what it's doing. Kellamon's an experienced quarterback. And it looks like they, you know, have all the little pieces in play now uh, to, to be able to, to play great offense week in, week out. And that's what Jimbo Fisher's all about. That's what he's been all about his whole career as a coach is, is let's get these quarterbacks in a position to, to, to win the big games. And you've got to have that run game. And they do. So it's, it's fun to watch. South Carolina's lost the last two games. And uh, they've given up a thousand yards in those two games. Come over a thousand yards in those two games against LSU and, and Texas A&M. They did have three defensive starters out, and that that proved uh, it proved bad for them. Yeah, it it was a total domination, really. And, and when you watch that game, that's another team we talk about. Florida improving as the season's gone along. Go back to Texas A&M's first game against Vanderbilt, where they just did not look very impressive. They looked lethargic. It was slow. I think A&M and Florida, as the season is going along, they're getting more and more confidence, and their quarterback play for both of those teams has improved as the season's gone along. Trask has been pretty sound all season, but Kellen Mond, it feels like, as the season has progressed, he's playing better and better football, which Aggies are obviously excited about because they waited you know, for the past yeah. couple of years. You know, When are we going to get the Kellen Mond that we expect out of him? And then now, if you're A&M down the stretch – they still, we've talked about it. There is a real chance here if they win out and they win convincingly over Auburn on the road to close out the year, they could potentially be there with an opportunity to sneak into that that four spot. But another team that's that is, I think, has surprised a lot of people in, in the college football world and in the SEC is Arkansas, who they start this game slow against Tennessee, no points in the first half, and then Felipe Franks three touchdown passes in the third quarter. They end up winning twenty-four to thirteen, and all twenty-four of those points came in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. You know, they they trailed thirteen to nothing at the half, and it looked dim uh, for Arkansas. But Felipe Franks has been—you said you used the word surprising. He's been surprising. I mean, he's a kid that started a few years at Florida, transferred into Arkansas, and has really given them some stability at that position. He's got, he's got good numbers. He's got 14 touchdowns and three picks. He's been sacked a lot, and that's the only thing that you could say critical about this Arkansas offense is Felipe Franks, he's not afraid to hold the ball back there, and, and, and you know, they get some negative yard plays. But, uh, you know, they're three and three. They're starting to really uh, show signs of, you know, getting out of the doldrums. I mean, Arkansas has been in the, in the cellar of the, uh, of, of the west side of the division for so long. And so it's fun to watch uh, a team kind of try to come out of, of, of the position that they've been in for, for a long time. And Felipe Franks has given them some stability. And like you said, he had three touchdown passes in the third quarter. And when was the last time Arkansas has had that kind of explosion right after the, the half? So I, I like what they're doing. Their coach seems to have full control of the team and, and, and they understand what their identity is and they just play solid football. And they were able to, to beat Tennessee pretty handily after going down 13 to nothing. They, they, 
they didn't even allow a point in the second half. Yeah, and, and Tennessee down the stretch, I mean, they still have they still have Auburn and Florida left. And if you're a, a Tennessee fan, there's a chance that this season, after all that was made about could is this the year that Tennessee really gets back in the fold and competes in the East? And now it looks like, assuming they get all ten games in, they, this may be a three and seven team. So a, a step backwards certainly for the for the Volunteer squad. The last game that was played this past weekend, Mississippi State twenty four, Vanderbilt seventeen. You know, Vanderbilt actually moved the ball really effectively. They had over five hundred yards of offense, but Ken Seals, quarterback, he he did some nice things over three hundred yards passing, but three interceptions. If you're going to win three three interceptions, really, it, it doesn't matter what the matchup is. That's tough to overcome. But both of these teams, this feels like Mississippi State's got some got some problems, especially mm-hmm. on the the offensive side of the ball. Early in the year, that Arkansas defense figured out sort of the blueprint to slowing Mississippi State down. Just keep everything in front of you. Do not let them get over top. Make them chip away five to six yard completions at a time. Uh, but this one was, you know, I thought for Vanderbilt, this is their best game they've played. It was also their best opportunity to get a win this year, I think. Uh, any, any thoughts from you on this one? Well, Vandy had 478 yards of something of, of offense. So it was nearly twice as much as, as Mississippi State. Mississippi State controlled the game with short passing, uh, with precise, you know, short passes. And Will Rogers did a good good job. But you know, neither team, neither one of these teams has a – really high octane offense and you can see it there's no big plays uh you know happening in the ballgame mississippi state also negative 22 yards rushing i saw that stat versus vanderbilt i mean you talk about vanderbilt maybe being one of the worst defenses in the league and you can't run the ball for positive yards in a contest you got to be able to line up and run the football some against you know especially against the lower tier defensive teams in the conference so i think that's a real issue for mississippi state and leach got his first home win yeah that's great but They've got to be able to create some balance because a lot of these other great teams in the SEC that can play really good defense are going to figure out ways to just completely shut them off uh, offensively. So Mississippi State's got to have some kind of balance. Leach can't just go in and throw 46 times and then run the ball negative 22 yards uh, in, in a contest. It's just not going to work against great teams. So that that's really going to be the – uh, the telltale for Mississippi State the rest of the way is can they even muster up anything offensively on the ground to help the passing game? Yeah, well, obviously there's a ton going on with cancellations right now, and we'll get to that more in a little bit. But for the games that we did get last week, obviously that that Georgia-Florida game, really entertaining. I think there's there's a couple this weekend that, you know, certainly there, if there's only three on the docket, we'll be paying attention to. But We'll move over to our guests for this week. You know, with Texas A&M kind of being in the forefront of the conversation in the SEC for the first time since they've been in the conference, wanted to get an Aggie on. And Stephen McGee, quarterback there, he was he was there sort of right before the the Big Twelve, before they were left the Big Twelve and moved over into the SEC, but played at a high level there. He was there right before Gerard Johnson, and and then after Gerard, it was the Johnny Manziel era that ushered them into the SEC, but. Had a really fun interview with Steven just talking about expectations for the program moving forward, thoughts on Jimbo, thoughts on Kellen Mond, but enjoyed this interview. So now joining us is Steven McGee. All right, now joining us is former Texas A&M quarterback, one of the legends there, Steven McGee joins us. Steven, how you doing, man? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Of course, man. Well, this is obviously such a bizarre year, but I think for A&M fans, you know, I'm based in Austin, but have been around the, the A&M program for a long time. And 
I think if, if you asked A&M fans, hey, you're going to come into this crazy season and you're going to have one loss and that only loss is to Alabama, I think you, you'd probably take that. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Now, going into the year before the schedule t- change and COVID, uh, I think that a lot of fans would have said that this has the potential to be a one-loss team, of course, without knowing how good LSU would be and how some of the other SEC West schools would fare. But uh, then going into the season uh, with just an SEC schedule post-COVID, and then you add Florida, I think that that changed in a lot of people's opinion. I think expectations were probably closer in line with the seven and three. But to your point, uh, you know, a little bit of a disappointing start, I think, against Vanderbilt, not a, not a great at-home uh, opening game win and then a, a pretty disappointing performance against Alabama. But since those two games, I think you've seen this A&M team really pivot. Uh, and it's just a different type of football. It's a Jimbo Fisher type of offense, uh, run the football, uh, try to force defense or the opposing offense um, to be one dimensional. And I think that the, for the most part that this front defensive front has been pretty stout against the run. So uh, I think you're starting to put together some really, really nice pieces and a solid football team. Yeah. How important do you think that Florida win is and is and as the year goes on? I mean, how, how important was that win for them? Oh, it's crucial. I, you know, I think that there was already a lot of rumors going into that game and murmurs from fans and, and alum uh, just because a lot of the frustrations that they experienced through the offseason and some of the mix, mixed messages that they had uh, internally and externally from the athletic program, I think that there were some people wondering if they got the bang for their buck with Jimbo Fisher hired. Uh, are we already talking about finding ways out of this $75 million contract? And then that Florida win was obviously one of the – uh, the best wins that we've had at Kyle Field in, in quite some time. I and mean, I'd go all the way back to Reggie McNeil against Oklahoma when they were the number one team in the country. But I think it was so important for this, this program right now in year three with Jimbo of kind of getting over the hump and, and feeling like you're playing more downhill. And they've done that since that game. You can see the difference uh, and just the confidence level of this football team, the offensive line is a different group than it was week one and week two. And I think it started to pay off in recruiting as well. So uh, it's always a good thing when the program can kind of submit what they believe to be true of Jimbo Fisher and of the recruiting classes that they've had for the last couple of years. Yeah, you touched on Jimbo. Obviously, it has the eye-popping contract. What is the pulse around AM and around the program on? I know that that win at against Florida, as you mentioned, that builds a lot of momentum. But do AM fans feel, I mean, is there are they content? Are they are they happy with this hire and feel like there's big things ahead moving forward under Jimbo? Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, the Jimbo has been held in a different regard. And I think most people knew that it was going to take some time. One, two year certainly was probably not fair, but I think going into this season based on a favorable schedule, some really good recruiting classes, having a fourth year starter at quarterback. A lot of people believe that this was A&M's year to make a run and they kind of expected Jimbo to win a lot of football games. And I think that $75 million contract, people were expecting him to be a, you know, nine and one uh, type football team competing against Alabama, uh, beating LSU this year with them being down. But if LSU had been anything like they were last year, then at least competing in the football game. Because you felt like the last couple against LSU has just been so one-sided, there was never a chance. So, yes, I think the fans now uh, 
they were excited about Jimbo. They, they were drinking the Kool-Aid. They were buying into the, all the hype along with the $75 million contract uh, with the expectation of really looking toward, I feel like this year of starting to see some of the fruits of that contract and the way that this season's played out. I think most Aggie fans would wholeheartedly agree that they're, they're fired up about the direction of the program. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit and, and switch over to Kellen Mond, who I said this summer, I did a rundown with 790 in Houston, just talking about all the different teams in Texas and key players and who to watch. And I remember saying Kellen Mond has all the tools in the tool belt. He's a five-star recruit. He looks the part. He's got to take that step forward because in years past, his play in the biggest moments was underwhelming. His touchdown interception ratio was pretty poor. His completion percentage was poor. It feels like he is starting that that Florida game was huge for him. What have you seen from him in taking strides this year to try and become what AM fans have always hoped he would be? Yeah, you know, I think he has had a really, really good season. I think he started off rough. I, the Vanderbilt game and the um, Alabama game were, were tough for him. He, a lot of Aggie fans were already calling for Haynes King, the true freshman, off the bench. And you're talking about a guy that's probably going to go down as the most prolific offensive player uh, and, and most certainly quarterback that AM has ever, ever had and a four-year starter that's won a bunch of football games here. And they're calling for a true freshman backup. And now you know, Taylor, as well as I do, uh, the most popular guy on campus is always the backup quarterback. But uh, it, it was definitely there's frustration that he's, to your point, not been consistent enough. You get good Kellen and you get bad Kellen. Good Kellen is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Uh, bad Kellen is below average and not good enough to, to have a good football team in the SEC West. He's got to play more consistent, and he's done that. Uh, Florida was, in my opinion, his best game he's ever had. Big moments. He, he showed up big. Um, and, and so, you know, it, Kellen has progressed so much. I think mean, getting through progressions when number one's not there – I think that's been the biggest stride that he's made the last several weeks is getting through that progression and finding the check down, not being, being smart, aggressive, uh, but not forcing the issue either. And I think he did that a couple games there early in the year, but he's been so good as of late. And then I think just being more consistent on what I consider the layup throws, the, the easy under routes, the slants, when the guys are open, hit them in the chest, get the easy yardage. And I think making the layups consistently has really helped Kellen and this offense. They have been stellar on third down. Their ability to, to complete, you know, third and five, third and six type plays has been huge for them to extend drives and get points. If you're Kellen with, with this year where guys are allowed to – basically this is a not a practice season, that's the wrong phrasing, but it's sort of a – if you can come back if you want – they're, the NCAA is granting eligibility to guys if they want to. If, if you're Kellen, do you come back next year? I think it depends on where he falls in the draft. Uh, certainly, it, it would appear that he'll, based on the last three or four games, get drafted high enough to think I, I think he's gone. Uh, but a lot of quarterbacks are. I think Sam Ellinger is a guy that I would watch uh, in that regard because there could be some pretty good names come out in the draft this year that it just depends on how crowded it is at the top. And you know that there's a need. And then generally, once those initial teams with a strong need fill their, their draft plans, then there's a huge gap and a lot of guys start really falling. I think we saw that last year with Jake Fromm. He was kind of the outside of that first little bubble group and he fell late. And I think that would be the concern. It just depends on how this year goes. 
I, I will say this, you know, if he, he does come back, uh, they're super excited about the young guy, Haynes King. I've never heard of a, a staff be more publicly uh, praise a guy that, that's taken as few snaps as Haynes King has. So there could be some potential competition. I don't think that that would obviously steer Kellen one way or the other, but it's certainly something to, to that factors in. But I would say right now that Kellen's probably going to lean toward going pro based on everything I'm hearing. But, you know, if, if he struggles, then maybe he does come back. But in the event that he does struggle, then I would also expect that Haynes King becomes a bigger part of the picture as well. And that would bleed into next year. So I, I think in Kellen's position though, it's, it's going to be, he's done, uh, you know, after year four. Yeah. Looking around the country right now, I think, a&M benefits from the Big 12 being pretty weak this year. I think it, it, there's a, a, a likely scenario that you're going to get a two-loss Big 12 team going down the stretch. Clemson, Notre Dame, they had their big game last week. It's most likely they will meet again down the road in the ACC championship. This is starting to take shape where you could potentially see this path where A&M is there at the number four spot. If they win out and you have Ohio State, you have Clemson and the winner of the ACC. Let's say it's Clemson. Do you think that A&M should jump at, with their one loss, should be in over a one-loss Notre Dame? That's going to be hard. It's going to be all about how they finish this season, how convincing are the wins. Obviously, I'm an Aggie. I'm biased, so I would say yes. you got to give us our one shot when we of get course. it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Notre Dame sure did – look good the other night I was not expecting them to be as good as they were uh, but I feel to your point that's probably the most likely scenario you're going to have what I think most people believe Clemson to beat Notre Dame in the ACC championship and and so you're going to have a couple of really good one loss teams we feel like Alabama is going to run the SEC Florida would probably be out with second loss so uh, you know I think that we're certainly on the outside looking in at this point but crazy you know crazy things happen I mean we already lost two football games it looks like uh, you know, we dropped Tennessee game. We rescheduled that for later in the year for COVID. It looks more than likely that we'll do the same with Ole Miss. But the ultimate question is, in voters' minds, does an 8-1 and one football team look different than a 9-1 and one football team at A&M if we don't get to reschedule that Ole Miss game for the week leading up, you know, that right, you know, a couple of days prior to the SEC championship, which is what a lot of guys are proposing for another makeup game. I don't know. These are all – things that I, I don't really know what the computers are going to weigh, what the voters are going to weigh. And, uh, you know, you'd have to hope to think that if the A&M does run the SEC West with the strength of schedule, uh, just the quality of football top to bottom, that they would, they would find a, their way into it. I think, yeah, I, I'm with you on, obviously it's going to come down to performance through the rest of the stretch. I think their game at Auburn is going to be wildly important. If they come yep. out, Auburn has looked a little bit better over the last couple of weeks. I, I get LSU is down, but that was a statement win over LSU. I think if A&M goes into Auburn, which is a tough place to play, no matter, it doesn't matter how good or bad they are. If A&M goes in and wins and wins convincingly, and you see Notre Dame, They've got some games ahead. They've still got to play – they're at Boston College. They've got to play Wake Forest. I think there's a chance down the stretch you see Notre Dame stumble a little bit, and then if they lose in the ACC championship and A&M looks strong down the stretch and, and beats Auburn convincingly, I think you could – there's a realistic scenario. I think you see 
A&M jump into the, the final four. But I'll get w- one more question from you and we'll get you out of here. And this is – it's an odd time to to ask this question because A&M's rolling right now. But I always wonder with Aggies, do they – do you get the impression that A&M misses some of the – the older traditional matchups that they had. And I'm not saying that they missed the big 12, but do you think they miss playing Texas playing the, the traditional, you know, the Baylors of the world teams that you just got used to seeing for so long between the Southwest conference and then the big 12, do you think there's any, Hey, we want to get some of these matchups back specifically, obviously Texas and Texas A&M. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly believe that they do from a former player's perspective. I certainly do. It's, it's just fun because there's, you know, guys that you grew up with in high schools and, you know, on the other opposing sidelines. I remember when I was in college at A&M, one of my high school teammates, Jordan Shipley, was a wide receiver at Texas. So that was always fun for us that we got to compete against each other. Um, but, you know, these relationships run deep. And, and with seven on seven and all the quarterback camps and all the different things that guys do throughout the offseason, uh, they're friends. And I think it's just fun for, for fans and alums uh, to get to have bragging rights for a year against, uh, you know, one of your buddies that went to a different school. So I, I do. The ultimate issue, of course, is politics. It runs much deeper than just saying, hey, we want to get it back on the calendar. Um, there's obviously feelings hurt. There's, uh, there's some pride issues in there on both sides of the coin, A&M, Texas, I think it's a great thing for the state. I think it's a great thing for college football. When these two schools play off, there's a rich history there. It's a special game, special rivalry. I believe it's a good thing for everybody when this game happens. Whether or not it does, it doesn't look likely in the foreseeable future. Yeah, you and I are both from the Austin area, and that was just that was the game. Even above, I mean, the ones that I really remember from my childhood were Texas and Texas A&M hated each other. And I, there was a, a while there that I think it was even more so than Texas and OU, depending. But that's a game that I don't, regardless of conference, regardless of pride, anything else, I feel like it needs to be you know state law that. A&M and, and Texas have to play each other. But, Stephen, again, we really appreciate you joining us. This has been fun. And, obviously, we'll be watching uh, A&M down the stretch. I think there's a lot to look forward to if you're A&M under Jimbo. Uh, but, again, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Thanks Thanks for having me on, Taylor. Awesome. Stephen, thanks again for, for joining us. Always good to catch up with him. Uh, well, as we look, you know, we mentioned as we look ahead to this upcoming slate of games – you know, Josh, I think there's a, a lot being made right now of there's this escalation, this spike in cases and games being postponed. And all of a sudden now the critics come back out of the woodwork that were there in, in the summer and in, especially in August saying, you know, you should shut all of this down. I'm of the opinion that you just press on with whatever games you can and get comfortable with the fact that not everybody is going to have the same number of games played at the end of the year. You might have some teams that played nine or ten. You might have some that only get eight in. I, I just – don't think that we need to keep extending this out all the way end of January to get games in. Play what you can, get the season in, and if you have a mixed bag of games, I think it sort of is what it is. It is. The landscape is crazy in college football this year, and we've never experienced anything like this. I mean, the, the, they held off games in the Big Ten for quite a while. The Pac-12 is just coming on board playing games. It's going to be a tentative thing for the entire landscape of college football. If you're going to shorten it up, what I would like to see in, in these conferences, some of these conferences, like the SEC, where you got two divisions, is let's take maybe the teams that you're going to play on the opposite side of the bracket 
and, and not play those games if you're going to cancel any and play the ones at least inside your bracket, like LSU-Bama. They're not playing this week because of LSU COVID cases. Uh, three or four weeks ago, we had to play Florida, and it got canceled. But they're on the other side of the bracket. I'd like to see us play at least the western side games. Or if you're Florida, you want to play all your eastern side games because that dictates a lot in the SEC championship picture. And that's what we talk about every week is the SEC. So that's one of the things that I think at least need to happen is they need you need to play your division, your, your games inside your division, inside your conference, if that makes sense. I'm, I'm right there with you, Josh. I think uh, I think you got to get in what you can and and move on. Um, but as we look ahead to uh, to this upcoming week, now for picks for last week, Josh, this was actually your best week. This got you back to 500, a perfect four and zero, which you needed because there were a couple early in the year that did not go that direction. But uh, overall for the year, I, I, I had a, a three and one finish, so I'm at 17 and 10 on the year. Josh, you're back to 500 at 13 and 13. So I think, uh, you know, for, for the fans out there that early in the year, we're probably like, these guys have no idea what they're talking about. We still have no idea what we're talking about, but at least the picks are getting better. But okay, let's look ahead. We, we've only got three, like we mentioned, three games for this, this upcoming weekend. We'll start with Kentucky hosting Vanderbilt, Kentucky's favorite by 17. Yeah, Kentucky wants to create balance. They, they've got no passing threat. Uh, it's happened to them in the past, but they play good defense. Terry Wilson should return. He's been a longtime starter for Kentucky. I do like them. I don't know if I like them by 17. I love uh, I love the under in this game. Uh, I think Kentucky's defense is the only defense in the conference allowing less than 20 points per game uh, on average. So I like uh, the under in this game. I don't think Vandy's going to move the football at all. I think Kentucky will score a little bit, but they're not a high-octane offense. Uh, I like Vandy plus the points, but I do love the under. I'm right there with you. I think Kentucky's shown they've got some issues of their own on offense, and I think they I think they could win this by two touchdowns. But I think Vandy keeps it close enough, close enough to cover. Uh, let's yep. go. I think this game is going to be just fun to watch. Arkansas on the road at Florida. Florida's favored by 17 and a half, which feels like a lot. Yeah, Felipe Franks. We mentioned it earlier in the in the show. Uh, you know, he returns to Florida for the first time. He spent three years as a starter there, but his numbers this year are great. I talked to Steve Calhoun uh, at Armed and Dangerous. He's a QB coach. He's one of my best friends in Southern California. He trained Felipe Franks all offseason during COVID, getting ready for this year. And he thinks he could potentially be a first or second round pick. And I'm like, whoa, you're getting a little ahead of yourself, but he's playing some good football. I don't think that they can score enough to beat Florida. I like Florida in the game. I just think they can keep it closer than 17 and a half. I think it'll be a 14 point game. Florida will win 42, you know, 27, something like that. Uh, Sam Pittman, the, the head coach for Arkansas, who we mentioned earlier, too, will, will sit out because of COVID. And he's been a real he's been real instrumental in Arkansas's kind of comeback this year and playing good football. So, you know, I think uh, Pitts is questionable concussion protocol for Florida. I don't think they cover 17 and a half. I think Arkansas has the potential to, to give Florida more fits on the defensive side of the ball than Georgia did. And I think they will try and slow this game down. I said earlier in the week, I think if you're Arkansas, throw the – I mean, the whole kitchen sink at them on the defensive side of the ball. Give them every look you've ever practiced. Figure out ways to get after Kyle Trask early and often in that game and try and 
get a bunch of pressure on him, slow the game down on the offensive side of the ball. And I think Arkansas keeps it close enough to stay under that 17 and a half. So I'm right there with you. Uh, this line, I think, is obviously impacted by uh, South Carolina getting blown out last week. But South Carolina on the road at Ole Miss. Ole Miss is favored by 11. Yeah, you know, the, the Rebels lead the SEC in rushing. They're fourth in passing. Uh, South Carolina, we mentioned it earlier, giving up 200 yards rushing, two in the last three games and over 1,000 yards in the last two games. So, you know, Rebels defense dead last in the league. Uh, you know, they, they just give up a ton of yards and, but South Carolina is not a potent offense. They are always about creating a little balance run game, a little defense, but they're not playing any defense this year. So that's why must champs on the hot seat. I like Ole Miss minus 11. What I did was I went in and teased Ole Miss down to five and I, and I took Kentucky Vandy 42 and teased it up the and played the under. So I went under on the Vandy 48 and I went Ole Miss down to five. And, and I, and I really like that play. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know that South Carolina can score any points, even against this Ole Miss team. I'm going Ole Miss because they can score on anybody. And this, if this gets into a, a shootout, South Carolina will give you the ball at some point in this game. South Carolina is going to score more than they did against Texas A&M. But this, has, this is the type of game that you see something like you know, something in the 60s or something in the 40s, right, where, where Ole Miss still covers, but they give up a ton. So I'm going to go Ole Miss in this one. But um, – well, as always, thanks again, guys, for for tuning in. I know this has been a this is a bizarre week, and everybody's making you know making the best out of a bad situation. But as we move move forward, hopefully, we get some of these games added back, and uh, we'll enjoy this weekend. But as always, you can find Josh and I on Twitter. Josh is at Josh Booty Ten, and I'm T McCarg Sixteen. And this is on the podcast. If you like the podcast. Send us a review, like, give us any comments. If you don't like it, give us some comments. Let us know what the feedback is. But uh, as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.